It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you to this week's Matrixic Discussion Group Call here for Tactical Sovereignty. Uh, this is the beginning of March, uh, nearing the end of the Hebrew year. And uh, I was going to chat with a few people tonight, actually, uh, down here in Florida. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about the trafficking in persons. I don't know that any of them have going up or will, but, you know, I'm just going to touch on a few kind of key points regarding that, and then we're going to go into a conversation that we were having before the call started out. Um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about this last week is uh, the position everybody's been placed in as uh, surety for the national debt, and the national debt, actually, if you translate that correctly, would be the debt of Congress because uh, Congress is the one that created that debt. Um, Congress is the ones really liable for it, and Congress is what you see in documents. They are um, the United States in Congress assembled. So to turn around and try and hold um, U.S. person responsible as collateral for that debt or as surety for that debt, when people learn that, it really uh, kind of a sinking feeling, I think, in their gut that they get. But when you really look at it and realize that all the words and terms have all been twisted around, kind of opposite on us, and look at it from that aspect, you really see where the power of the people lies at. And it's just like with Social Security. I have a lot of people that ask, you know, well, you know, if I, you know, prevent, perfect the presumption or, um, you know, correct the mistake, actually, you know, that's been made as far as my position in relation to U.S. Inc., you know, how's that going to affect my Social Security because I rely on that. A lot of people are worried about that. Now, how's this going to affect my benefits is what they're always asking. But if you really go and read into a lot of their own law when it comes to Social Security, what you're receiving, you may think it's a benefit. They may even sometimes refer to it as a benefit, but it's actually referred to by them as obligations. It's obligations of Social Security because there's a contract that's been agreed upon. You have, say for instance, you know, you've paid into an investment your entire life and now it's time to collect. So then it switches from you paying in and them being the beneficiary by receiving these payments to now they have an obligation. They are now the obligor to pay you back. And so the real terminology to what you're receiving when it comes to Social Security payments would be obligations of Social Security or obligations of of U.S. Inc. So when people are looked at as playing the role of surety for national debt, which is what the U.S. citizen is, 
you have to look at it with more clear eyes and say, no, I'm actually the credit of the nation. Because if I didn't perform, if I wasn't paying any taxes, if I wasn't uh, drawing out loans, uh, creating Federal Reserve notes, which that's how every Federal Reserve note gets created, is through a debt obligation. Then you are actually the credit. You are actually the creditor. And so words have been used on people uh, to keep them, I would say, in a submissive type of uh, capacity. Um, but U.S. Bank and all governments pretty much have done, they, they follow the same guidelines of Christianity. You are born into debt. Oh, I'm sorry. You're born into sin. Oh, I'm born into debt. Oh, same thing. You know, and, oh, so now you're spending the rest of your life trying to figure out how to get off from underneath that sin or off from underneath that debt. Uh, it puts you in a, in a guilty position. Keep you in a position as a defendant when actually you really are in the position of the creditor or the prosecutor, if you want to put it that way. Um, yeah, I was thinking last night, you know, about, say, a cashier at Walmart, Target, whatever the case may be, and that this company gets into trouble. And when this, con- when this uh, company gets into fiscal trouble or, or problems, because of debts they owe or maybe injury that's been caused, da da da. What would happen if that cashier received a notice from the courts that she has to appear in court? And she's thinking, WTF, what's this? You know, I, I'm just a cashier here. And then she goes and finds that, you know, her role as a cashier, that that company had actually, um, changed her position they had reclassified her and since she handled money for the company they classified her as being or him as being um part of their financial institution and actually part of maybe their accounting department if you will all right and and that's kind of what us inc has done to the people is they've all been reclassified into that surety position um, and and so it, we need to kind of look at things in that light. Now, see how U.S. Inc. is trying to portray you or I as compared to who or what you and I really, really are. Because if it wasn't for us, there would be no U.S. It's that simple. Uh, if they didn't have anything to back their debt, um, you know, China would probably walk in immediately. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that could possibly happen is China could come in and um, take over possession of the collateral, which is you or I. And it's something to kind of think about a little bit there, because that is an option. And I don't know. It, 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 the, what it all really comes down to is a divide and conquer kind of uh, operation. It's always the way everything's been done is through divide and conquer. And they've immediately separated mankind from their soul and turned everybody over into somewhat of a corporate capacity. And every corporation has a corporate soul. 
Um, and people hear words that they rarely go and read, and even less do they go and they look up the definitions of them. But when you look at the corporate soul, the corporate soul is not the S-O-U-L that's inside you. It's the S-O-L-E. That is a corporate soul. And uh, they've just kind of done a play on words, uh, through legalese, whatever the case may be, and kind of tricked everybody into operating into a capacity that they actually don't even realize that they are operating in. That's the scariest thing. Um, I just heard something confirmed today on the radio, and I think it was through an institute in Germany, and we've all kind of heard this before, is that when the human body dies, that um, they weigh 22 grams less, and that they think that that is actually the weight of your soul, (laughs) even though there's no way to really find where in the body that soul is located at, you know, and uh, this object in your chest disappears or in your butt or whatever, Uh, which actually that's not a bad analogy because that's where your rights are. It's your rectum. Rectum is a legal word for rights. Everybody pretty much sits on their rights all the time. But as I was listening, uh, I think it was this afternoon with Bob Brinker, whoever, that guy that likes to lie to everybody. He's been on, I don't remember, since when I was seven, eight years old. So he's been on for at least 30 years. Not to date myself. But he was talking about uh, taxes and filing and this and that. And he was trying to make an analogy. But what he was really saying was so true that I couldn't believe it. Because people would hear him and think, oh, yeah, he's drawing an analogy. When really he was telling the truth. And he was talking about the family and the head of family. And he said, you know, well, the family is actually a corporation. And uh, whoever is filing as head of, of family is actually the CEO of that corporation. And so the only thing that the IRS is just making sure of is that that corporation is being run correctly. And that couldn't be any closer to the truth because that's the problem that everybody encounters, and not just IRS, but every situation in court anybody gets dragged in on is, you know, say even if it's something as simple as like a speeding ticket or a parking ticket, well, the way that the empire is looking at it as you are operating an agency, you're operating an organization that the state created, and you are in default of the way that you're handling that organization. And so, therefore, they're going to fine you for it. That's really what it boils down to. And people need to look at things from that perspective because when you look at it that way, then you can start to see where your remedies are. Uh, whether it's, which is what I did, and I'm not going to say I would recommend or anything like that, but what, what I did was resigning as the agent for that organization that they created, that uh, Title I all-cap person. And, um, you know, when I did that, and actually this is something that will tie into what we were talking about earlier, prior to starting the recording and what we'll talk about in a little bit here as well, is that um, whenever you're going to do something like that, you have to kind of look at chain of command. you got to follow chain of command. You know, everybody does a lot of things locally, with like local judges or sheriff or whatever. They get laughed at, and uh, probably what really happens is they get put on a list. 
that those officials don't even really know the severity of. And you really have to go to the top of the chain of command, Um, whether it's legislatively, um, the Secretary of State uh, for uh, U.S. Inc. or for the state you dwell on, um, or jurisdictionally, if you're looking at law, uh, you do it with the chief judge for your area. And Florida, for instance, has three sections of, of main districts for the courts. Uh, there's the northern district, there is the middle district, and there's the southern district. Um, but my notice that was sent out went to the chief justice for the middle district, which is Stephen B. Meredith. Um, the northern district, and, and this is something that I found interesting looking at other states and looking at various so-called judges or really just uh, court administrators. But uh, looking at some of the names that a lot of them were using, uh, the Northern District of Florida, uh, the Chief Justice is M.C. Rogers. Uh, the Southern District of Florida is K. Michael Moore. And I, I started noticing, looking at all the various um, judges, whether it was an appeals court, whatever, with so many of them were using like they're just their first initial or their first and middle initial with the last name. And I was like, wow, that's really telling right there. That, that should be a big hint to people of the capacity that they're operating in because so many of them were just really listing their full last name. And that full last name is the name of that organization, that state-created organization. Um, and people see it, and they call it the all-cap name, which really to better identify it would be to identify it as the organizational symbols, uh, much like you would see in the back of the business section of the paper. And NASDAQ, you know, all of these different companies have their own kind of acronym or whatever for their name. and that's what the last name all cap is. It's the organizational symbols for that state-created organization that you're supposed to be administering. That if they're not administering it properly, they're going to drag you in really for your lack of proper administration, which really should be the charge. And probably in a way or another in their code that they use for different citations or whatever, that actually might be in there. Who knows? But that's really what it boils down to. But anyway, I'm just going to open this back up and we'll continue the chat that we're having prior to uh, the recording. Everybody should be unmuted now. If you're not speaking, you know, try and keep yourself muted and try not to step on each other as best as possible. Brian, if I may. Kind of makes makes those things sound better. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, I sent you a, I forwarded you an email. Um, are you familiar with Jonathan Emord? Uh, no, that doesn't sound familiar. Jonathan Emord is Dr. Joel Wallach's uh, constitutional attorney who has sued the FDA nine times and won. Um, and he, there's a, an organization called CCHR, the um, Citizens Commission on Human Rights, 
Um, they're the watchdogs over the mental health industry. Uh, and Jonathan, they, they have a newsletter that, you know, they put out. And there's a clip of Jonathan. It's a, an interview. It's not really an interview. It's just him talking about Sandy Hook. And, you know, it's an older interview, but it's pretty relevant to what happened in Florida. And Jonathan is, you know, accusing the psychiatric industry and the pharmaceutical industry, you know, for these school shootings. And it's pretty telling. Um, I, I forwarded that to you. It's the heading with school shootings. Most of the folks that I sent it to, it's the newsletter that I get from this group. And a couple people said that the link wasn't there, but they were able to pull it up, um, you know, on the Internet. So I, I'm not sure if you saw that or what you thought about it, if you did. No, I didn't see that. I'm actually surprised that I haven't heard his name before, because I have followed uh, what uh, Dr. Joe Wallach has done. And I think he has been like the only one that's really been successful with uh, suing the FDA. Yeah, I believe that's that's a fact. Um, so yeah, Jonathan is his attorney. He's over there on the East Coast somewhere, and he is uh, he he's pretty awesome. I I haven't met him, but he I believe he has a show, a radio show on uh, GCNlive.com. You can search that website, GCN. It's Genesis Communications Network Live.com. Um, he's got a weekend show either Saturday or Sunday, um, and I kind of forgot about it until I got that link. And I used to have a direct line, you know, a number, a call and listen number for it. And I, I don't, I lost my contacts a couple times in my phone, so I, I don't have that anymore. But it, I'm sure, I do. I just realized I got, I've been getting these phone calls to my landline. And it's a like a robocall, and it says um, T-Mobile has been charging people for calling these, you know, radio internet radio shows, and you can call this number, uh, you know, look at your caller ID and call this number back, and it's for you know Clyde Lewis or Alex Jones or you know, and the la- latest one I got, it's a it's the call in line to GCN Live, and it lists like 90 or, you know, there's, he, he used to have 95 talk shows on that website. And you, you know, he used to, before he had a, a number you could call and listen to any one of them. You'd listen to the list and then you'd push the number they said that corresponded with the show. And then you were listening. Um, so that's been gone for several years, but now I just got that link. Um, I'll have to pull that up and uh, share that with the call. So I'll yield. Yeah, that would be interesting. I, I know uh, because my provider rides on the Team Mobile network also, and a lot of the 712 conference calls, uh, they weren't letting me in on. Or they would let me in it for 20 minutes, and then they'd cut me off. And the provider would say, well, that's not part of your plan. And I'm like, wait a minute. The, the plan you sold me was a unlimited plan. And it's not like one of those plans that's unlimited up to two gigs or whatever, and then after that you got to pay extra. No, it is supposed to be a truly unlimited plan. And never had a problem with it with anything else. 
year, gosh, probably about a year ago, it started doing that. And so they're like, okay, you know, we'll throw an extra three bucks on your bill and that will let you in on those 712 conference numbers. I thought that was just craziness. But, you know, I, I think this is really that along with, your, you know, the YouTube channels that people are seeing being deleted and things like that. Uh, this is just the beginning of the censorship. And that's why I've told people, you know, information that you find or whatever, download it, hard copy it, save it. Because a year from now or five years, it might be gone. It may have disappeared. And all the things that people are studying and researching and learning right now may not be available to people in the future. So people need to really at least try to hard copy everything that they can find. I think that's going to be very important. Brian, I got that number. And it's funny you say it. It is a 712 number. So it's 712-775-53. The last two numbers are missing here. Let me... uh, uh, Hold on. Sorry about that. Um, eight, eight, nine, five, three, eight, nine is the last four. So it's seven, one, two, seven, seven, five. Um, I got to wait for it to scroll. Five, three, eight, nine. So that should get you to GCN's full list of all the shows that they have currently on. I haven't listened to it. I just got it like a week ago. And I don't know if Jonathan still has a show on there, but uh, I have listened to it before, and it it was pretty good. The archives, if you go online to GCNlive.com and look up Jonathan Emord, um, his archives are still there, I'm sure. Uh, I know Ted Anderson, the owner of of that uh, GCN Live, and he's, you know, good friends with Jonathan, so... I'm sure those archives are still there, even if his show is gone. There's some interesting stuff there. You guys might want to check it out. So, all right, I'm going to be transferring phones here and traveling, so uh, I'm going to yield out. Thanks, Brian. Could you repeat that number one more time before you go? Sure. It's 712-775-5389. Okay. And uh, there is no PIN number or anything like that? Nope. That gives you a directory to GCN Live, and it'll list all the the current shows, and then it'll tell you what number, you know, you'll press, that's where you put in the PIN, and it tells you what PIN to put in, and then the pound sign, and you'll be, you know, it'll it'll send you right to that that show, so you don't have to listen live. if the call is on, if the show's on live when you call, you get it, um, or you get the replay for the most current call. All right. All right. I got you. And that would be all the more reason probably why they're blocking those 712 numbers from me. <laughs> Possibly, yep. I thought that no, most of the numbers that I've been getting are 701 numbers. So, I'm surprised this one's a 712. I hope I'm not giving out an old number, but it's in my new phone, so I'm guessing that I I know I just put it in there, um, and I did call it 
you know, when I got it to see what it was, and it was that directory for all the GCN calls. So um, I'll check it uh, before I get back on and make sure it's it's correct. All right. Thanks. Appreciate yep. that. Okay. Oh. Uh. All right, Russell, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, okay. Just know if you wanted to kind of pick up on some of the chat that we were talking about earlier or not. Um, sure, go ahead. I just, a go ahead. From, I just got a message from somebody else. I'm not going to say his name right now, but I'd kind of like to get him in on the call if I can. But anyway, uh, in the meantime, we can continue on with what we're talking about. And we're talking about money orders and using money orders. And one of my questions with the money order was um, when I've used money orders in the past, they would only allow me to purchase money orders up to $500. So if I had like an $800 payment, for instance, that I was wanting to make, I'd have to purchase a $500 money order and a $300 money order and send those both out. So I was wondering, you know, if you're buying a $100,000 house with a money order, um, you could have to buy multiple money orders or something like that. Okay, so when you mentioned purchasing money order and you couldn't get anything over X amount, what money order were you talking about? Going to a store and getting like a money gram type money order? No, I'm talking about going to the post office. Okay. The postal, uh, the post office money order is, the maximum is $1,000. And uh, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of uh, other money order from like MoneyGram or uh, what is that wire company? Uh, it's another wire company that does money order. Uh, they're typically around a thousand dollars maximum, uh, you know. So if you shop around, but in my opinion, I like the the postal, you know, post office money order because uh, it's it's lawful money. It says, uh, you know, on the face of the money order, it says pay to, and it doesn't say pay to the order of. So you're not ordering up new Federal Reserve note currency and. Uh, you know, so the U.S. Post Office, I think, is 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 the better choice in money order, and the maximum is a thousand dollars per money order. And uh, when I read the law, when I started studying and talking to the post office, the the postal clerks and the station managers don't really read their own domestic mail manual, and they're not familiar with the law. Uh, but when you look it up, uh, I found it in a domestic mail manual in the miscellaneous section under S, as in SAM, 020. And you can read all you need to know about the money order right there. And you can print that out. And you should be able to take that in and show it to them. And uh, I attempted to do that. And the station manager, uh, he was uh, he just blew me off when I talked about it. Didn't even want to talk about it. So, you know, that's just kind of the way they are. But, um, you know, so what I, what I do know is... Anything over three thousand uh, dollar in cash, like if you go in there with three thousand dollars and you request three one thousand dollar money order, um, they're going to ask you to fill out a form. They have a form there for uh, a funds transaction request, 
And you're going to have to provide, you know, they want a social security number. They want to know your employer. They want to see your ID. So you have to have either a driver's license, passport, or some kind of a picture ID. And they want to know the, the uh, uh, you know, the, the registered office for the registered agent. You know, they're going to want to know all that. And so when I went in there and they told me that, I go, well, what if I just get two $1,000 money orders? Oh, we don't, need, we don't need any ID for that. So what you're telling me is I can get two $1,000 money orders and show you nothing or get three and I have to show you picture ID and, and uh, all this other kind of stuff and you'll have to fill out forms and, and all that. And, and she goes, yes. And so, okay, I'll just take two. <laughs> uh, so that's know, just that's something. In, that's interesting. Yeah, I say that's interesting because under the Title 31 laws, I mean, which I've had to take the Title 31 classes for years since I worked with uh, finances, um, yeah, the cutoff is $10,000. And, and that's really where stuff has to start getting reported at. Like the. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Uh, I'll, I'll stop you right there and correct you. Things start getting recorded at $3,000 or over. So anything $3,000 or over up to 10000 they all require the same form, is what I found out. But what the station manager didn't know and what the postal clerks behind the counter didn't know uh, is that they went up to 10. To 10. You know, I could order 10 $1,000 money order at one time, and nobody knew that at the post office. They don't read their own law, and they don't read their own domestic mail manual. So I'm going to have to report that to the postal inspection, you know, the post office inspector general. Because he's not training his own staff. Huh. Yeah, so they're just so, doing whatever their boss is saying, and their boss is kind of low-balling the amount just to kind of try and cover their butt, probably. I don't know. I think they're just ignorant. You know, ignorant being that they, 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 they have no knowledge of what they're doing. And uh, the post office is known for that. <laughs> so, yeah, right. You know, so, yeah, so, you know, I haven't used Federal Reserve notes in a long time because I demand lawful money. For 12 USC section 411, and I keep my own court of record. I make copies of the front and back of every check that I cash or any money order. And uh, when I take lawful money cash and I go get a lawful money postal money order, um, that's considered lawful money. Uh, you know, you know that that is not you know it's prepaid. A postal money order is prepaid. It's not credit. Uh, and a cashier check, you know, if you look at it. Uh, it's actually a negotiable instrument, so it is funny money, you know, that can be fractionally, you know, it's fractional reserve lending. It can be sold, you know, to, to negotiate means to sell. And a postal money order is non-negotiable. <laughs> so I like, I like, you know, post office money orders. So that's what I use, cash and, uh, you know, and money order in the public when I have to pay a bill to an electrical company or a gas company or a, a note on a home or whatever. But, you know, if, if you and I, if Brian and me, if I want to buy Brian's automobile, say he has a, a 2005 uh, Chevrolet Camaro and he wants to sell it in private and I want to buy it in private, I can offer Brian another car 
or I can offer him uh, silver, or I could offer him gold, you know, and we can, we can do our own private contract in any form we want, and guess what? Uh, that makes the law. A contract is law, law is contract, and the government can't interfere with that. Uh, but that's in the private, you know, between two individuals. When you're in the public, I can't go make a public, I can't go make Walmart take my silver. I can't go make an electrical company or a gas company take my silver. But I can uh, give them Federal Reserve notes. You know, I, I, can't, I can give them U.S. currency notes in the form of Federal Reserve notes or a U.S. post office money order acquired uh, in lawful money that has been redeemed per 12 U.S.C. Section 411, which is what I do in the public. Right. And yeah, I, I had somebody, I, uh, this, as I said, somebody this last week mentioned to me, well, if I ever purchase a house, maybe I can use that. And I was like, no. I said, with any check that you're redeeming um, or endorsing, I said, you can use 12 step 411. I, it, it's a restricted endorsement. The problem is everybody always does a general endorsement. They think, oh, all I have to do is sign my name, uh, which, number one, the majority of the time, it's not your name. You don't own it. You have nothing to prove you own it. You know what I mean? And it's debt. You're it's just debt. Doing a, you're just doing, yeah, you're doing a general endorsement, and yet you're helping the debt propagate. And <laughs> I, I don't know if, if you remember uh, what I mentioned about when I purchased a vehicle with silver. Oh, what you purchased a vehicle? You, you, you purchased a device used in commerce, a vehicle? Or are you, oh, yeah, did you right, purchase an automobile? Auto, you know, whatever. I I don't worry too much about the terminologies and well I do. talking with each other, but I do <laughs> because well, I drive around. Well, you know, yeah, I, I use an automobile, uh, not in commerce. Right. But anyway, when um, I, I went and switched over the title for it, you know, they asked, you know, how much it was paid for, and said, well, it was purchased with fifty uh, ounces of silver. And the girl kind of sat back, and she's like, okay. And she listed it as a gift. And she never required me to, to register the uh, automobile, which, I mean, that's state law. At least for Florida, you cannot have a vehicle that's unregistered. By law, every vehicle, every auto that you own has to be registered. And and so they're automatically going to go into the next step, which is the registration part, which she never did. And so never so, did so for that automobile, so for that automobile, you did not register that automobile. You had no registration or plates. No, no. Okay, which is good. Which is good. Uh, property tax, Steve. You know, Steve from Orlando. Uh, he found yeah. uh, a long time ago that you can you can register a road machine, and a road machine is not engaged in commerce, and a road machine does not require a driver's license. So he had no driver license, and I found it in Texas. I, I went and researched Texas. Texas has the same thing. You do not need a driver license. And notice I didn't say driver's license. There is no such thing as a driver's license. It's a driver license. And uh, in Texas, as well as Florida, uh, you can register a road machine without having a driver license. <laughs> it's not See, funny so, these little word games they play. Yeah, 
Yeah, there, there's court cases in Texas that says there is no such thing as a driver's license. It does not exist in law. Of course, a driver license exists in law, but not a driver's license. And uh, Property Tax Steve has a plate on his car, and it's registered as a road machine, and he got pulled over twice, he said, in the first couple of years. And when they pulled him over, they, they said, hey, where's your driver's license and your plates? And he says, I don't need a driver's license. He says, here's my registration. It's a road machine. And they took it, and they went and checked it out, and it came back in five minutes and said, you're good to go. See you later. Bye. Wait. <laughs> well, I don't know what I've done. I, I've evidently put something in place because I've had I'm up to like 15 interactions now with uh, Leos, and I've not received any tickets or anything. Yeah. The first, uh, the beginning, first time you know, two, <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the first time or two, I thought, yeah, you know, I just got lucky. But after five, six, seven, and now 15, I'm like, no, there's got to be something else in place. Mhm. Yeah. Well, uh, get, getting back on the subject of, of money order and uh, what I'm trying to do, uh, you know, I sold my home this year, and uh, I took the cashier check that I got at closing, and uh, I went down to the bank that the check was written on, and I cashed it, demanding lawful money, and. Uh, I got a, a big old boatload of cash uh, and lawful money. And then I found out, you know, no title company will take cash. And I, I called around and I found out some title companies take money order, uh, but only U.S. post office money order. They won't take anything else. And, uh, you know, that, that confirmed what I already know is, you know, what, what was really the first government here? The post office. Oh, yeah. The post office is a government. In fact, the post office is who declares war. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Not very many people know that. I congratulate you for knowing that little tidbit of golden nugget. And, uh, you know, so, yes, you're exactly right. And you can still mail, uh, you know, a letter for two or three cents. And I've read that, and, and they have not changed that. And uh, they have lawful money there, and I know that postage stamps, you can go there and get $1,000 of postage stamps and put that in a registered mail uh, envelope and mail it to yourself and receive it, and you can carry that anywhere, and it will not be opened. And then wherever you're going, when you get there, you can go to the post office around the world and cash that. Yeah, I've done a lot of uh, mailings that way. And actually, that can be found in, I think it's 12 Stat, uh, Chapter 71, Section 23. Yeah, yeah, so, so you have and, a lot of knowledge. And, actually, and they, they can't, whoever you send the letter to, they can't come back to those people and say, you know, you owe money on the postage or anything. Uh, and that, that's at 18 U.S.C. 1726, unlawful mm-hmm. to collect extra money for postage. Yeah, and I've, yeah. I've had this conversation with a few people, and they're like, oh, you're full of crap. I'm like, okay, give me your address, you know, and, uh, you know, send it, yeah, 
let me know where I can send a, a process for service of a notice to. <laughs> and they're like, huh? I'm like, okay, just give me your address. And I, I'll go and I'll send them a, a card, a Hallmark card or whatever, and uh, send it to them with three cents on it, which you can do two. But I, I always do three just to cover the extra. I mean, that, the extra cent is just for an extra ounce. That were the situation. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it's like right. two cents, two cents within your city, and three cents, you know, uh, further out, and even even multi-state, you can do it for three cents. But um, I like I like the post office, and I tell them that because I think they're the original government, and they have a lot of power, and I respect them. They're also a bank, you know. They actually take currency and they uh, sell the money order, which is a different form. So they're a bank. And uh, I think they're lawful. And I do know under the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, Section 16, if you have Federal Reserve notes in your wallet or your bank account, uh, then you are either a Federal Reserve bank or a Federal Reserve agent because no other is authorized to use Federal Reserve notes. And so if you have that, then you're acting as a Federal Reserve bank or a Federal Reserve uh, agent. And you're unregulated, so you're an unregulated, and you're going to be taxed for that privilege of using that. So what I do is I don't use that anymore. I haven't used that in five years. And so what I do is I use that demand for lawful money for 12 U.S.C. Section 411, and I get lawful money cash. And if I need to purchase anything, I do it with postal money order. And I'm going to purchase a home, and I'll be using a U.S. post office money order. And I'll be using my passport with my authenticated passport evidence and the revocation of election per 26 U.S.C. 6013 G4A. And also I uh, rejected and resigned as the agent uh, of any agency that I had no knowledge of. So I have that uh, rebuttal uh, to go along with if I ever need it. I haven't really needed to use it because um, on the sales contract I put a one-page addendum and I put a copy of my passport card and I, I put my status and the fact that I don't use a social security number and I redeem lawful money and I put all that on a one page addendum and I attach that I, I attach that to the sales contract for a home. And so I, I know, get everybody. I a, uh, no, I was going to say, I, I had an interesting call uh, several months ago from a gentleman uh, who used to be a congressman. And uh, he'd been exploring this road of uh, 12-step 411 and uh, Title 31 of the CFR and stuff. And he, he asked me, he said, you know, I just had a really weird experience. Um, and let me kind of back this up a little bit with, you know, whenever you go to a store and you purchase something and say uh, you use your debit card to purchase something like if you go back to return whatever you're returning, they're going to pull it up or look at the receipt. Oh, I see you use the debit card. Do you have the card on you? And then they go and they put that money back on your card for you again. Okay. Uh, he called me up and he says, I just had an interesting experience. He says, I returned something to a store that I used my debit card um, to purchase this item with. And he said, instead of them going and putting the money back on my debit card, he said, they gave me cash back for that item. He said, is that what normally happens? And I'm like, absolutely not. That's not what happens. I said, I asked him, I said, how do you put money into your account? 
He says, oh, I put money into my account strictly under a special endorsement uh, pursuant to 12 set 411. And I was like, there you go. Because when you look at the bill, when you look at the, the Federal Reserve note, it tells you right there that it's good for all debts, public and private. And people haven't learned what those words public and private mean. And so the money he's using, he's not using in that same capacity. And in the same way, that money isn't increasing their national debt as well. If everybody would do that, that would be the simplest thing to do, to stop increasing the national debt. You're exactly right. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, you know, thinking about it now, I remember seeing, gosh, a year or two ago, a friend that had a stamp made up. Because you have to stop and think, okay, we're dealing with Federal Reserve notes. It's a note. Just like a check is a note, okay? So he had a stamp made up um, uh, saying that this was being done under 12-step 411, and it was being used in its private capacity. And he had buy and a line there where he signed his name onto the note after he stamped it. And I, I thought that was pretty funny. And because if a bunch of those... A lot of us would do that, and a bunch of those started floating around out there in the system, and people looked at that. Maybe a few people would stop and, you know, Google that 12-step 411 and start researching this kind of thing and find out, you know what, there is another capacity we should be operating in. And um, a lot of people have been doing, like, the A for V thing or trying to do it. I mean, it, it worked for quite a while. I think it stopped back in maybe the early 80s or whatever, because I think a lot of Kids were uh, using it to get rid of their college debts. And uh, so they put a halt to it. But I thought it was really interesting the way they've like, restructured the $100 bill now. And they've got that blue bar that goes down through it. And they've moved some things from one side to the other side and this or that. And on uh, the left-hand side of it, uh, it used to be uh, Rosa Rios, her signature was there because uh, she was the treasurer of the United States. Uh, it's now uh, Yavita uh, Garanza, I think is her name. Um, she was put into office by Trump. And then on the other side, you've got uh, Stephen Menchin, who is the secretary of the treasury. And I remember looking at the Federal Reserve notes when I was a kid and seeing the signatures there for the Treasurer of the United States and then the Secretary of the Treasury. And that really confused me. I was like, what the heck is going on here? Now it makes a lot more sense. There's one operating for the public and one operating for the private is the way I look at it. And the Treasurer of the United States is the one in charge of like the U.S. Mint and the printing of the money. Um, and people talk about um, the secretary and the mention always, oh, you're having all these bills printed and this and that. Well, not really. It, it's actually Yavita um, Granza, the treasurer of the U.S. that's in charge of the mint. And to me, that's, so you're seeing the public side and the private side 
signatures right there on the note. And it says on the note that it's good for both public and private. But everybody does their general endorsement, and everybody just operates in the public when, in my opinion, you have no right to operate in the public. Uh, the public is actually private. It's, the public is actually privately owned. And by operating in the public in the capacity you're in, you're actually uh, putting yourself in default right there. That's just my opinion on it. Uh, you are correct. Uh, the, uh, you know, if you look on the face of a $1 bill, there's a signature on the left and a signature on the right. It is a dual capacity note. And when you demand lawful money, uh, you know, it, you know, the U.S. Congress automatically deems it to be a U.S. currency note in the form of a Federal Reserve note. So that is what I do. Uh, I might have something that looks like a Federal Reserve note in my, my wallet, but I have the paperwork, I have the demand and the copy in my records to show that I redeemed lawful money. So, you know, when I go out and purchase something, it doesn't have that first lien of the Federal Reserve on it because I've redeemed it and it's non-taxable. So that was what I'm talking about that I've been doing for at least five years. And uh, I want to buy a home that way. And when I went to cash that cashier's check, when I sold my home, uh, the branch manager at a major bank that I dealt with did not have that knowledge. And so here I was sharing her my information, and she had to go talk to her legal department. And uh, I actually called her customer care unit at the corporate office in some other state and opened up a complaint. And I was told by the customer care person that, oh yeah, when you file a complaint with me, uh, our, 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 our officers, you know, the head people of our company, it gets escalated to them. Okay, so this complaint goes directly to the management, uh, upper management of the whole bank. And so I said, okay, because I want them to know that I'm lawful and this is what I'm demanding and, and your first level branch manager has no idea, you know, and boy, it got escalated and boy, within two days, when I talked to her, she, she sang a whole different tune. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember I was um, depositing a check you know, a few months ago, and I had the typical writing that I do, which I, uh, I use two different color pens for a specific reason. One everything written on the back of a check is kind of written in black or light black, gray color. So I've got a black pen, fine point, that I write along the side towards the top, um, uh, restricted or special endorsement pursuant to 12 USC 411. And then I, I built it the other angle, and with a blue pen, um, I write, four, and then I write the name um, with the copyright symbol. There's a copyright of the autograph. But I was um, depositing a check, and the girl, the teller, she turned it sideways and squinted her eyes and read it. She goes, oh, no, no. She says, well, we can't accept this. I said, why? She said, well, you have something else written here other than just the name. I said, well, that's written along the side. 
and that, that's specifying what it's for. This is not a general endorsement. This is a special endorsement. I said, I know you're used to only seeing general endorsements done, but this is a special endorsement. I said, answer, I said, you are a fiduciary for this company. And I said, uh, 12 step 411 uh, deals with uh, fiduciary responsibility. I said, have you read that? I said, have you even read uh, 31 CFR? Because as a fiduciary, you should be familiar with all this information. And she just kind of looked at me cross-eyed, and she was like, well, I guess if I showed this to my manager, they would tell me just to uh, go ahead and do the transaction anyway, so I'll, I'll just go ahead and do it. <laughs> because it got into an argument that she couldn't defend, you know. And I, yeah. I'm sorry, if you, work for a co- if you work for a company and you're supposed to be doing different things, you really need to know the, the the law or whatever you want to call it behind that stuff, the regulations and the code behind that stuff. Now, to me, that would be a smart thing. Yeah, I actually call it a non-endorsement, you know, because I don't endorse private credit from the Federal Reserve. I don't endorse fractional reserve lending and funny money because, you know, law follows your choice of money. Money and law go together. If you use funny money, you get funny law. If you use lawful money, you get lawful law. So, you know, I think most people don't understand that. I learned that from uh, Harmon Taylor. You can look at H-A-R-M-O-N Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R on YouTube. He's got a couple of videos. He's an ex-bar attorney who quit after two years when he uh, found out, you know, what was going on. And, uh, you know, he's very knowledgeable in this area. And I learned about money, a lot about money and law from him. So... You know, I don't have all this figured out, okay? Uh, I'm just selling and buying a home, and uh, I do have a passport, and I don't use a Social Security number. I don't have a driver license. Uh, I don't have an agency, and I'm not, I'm not a registered agent, you know, with a registered office. And so I'm trying to work my way through this, and it's like I'm walking through Babylon because, you know, nobody know. it's all confusion. Nobody knows anything. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. You know, and I'm spewing out law and showing them this stuff and, you know, printouts of law, and they don't, they don't understand anything. And it's, like, uh, it's like I'm in a foreign land. <laughs> you know? Well, it goes, back to, it, go, it goes back to the allegory of the cave, you know, it really does. And it, people also, if you want, or uh, another place to reference, if you go into Tactical Sovereignty uh, Facebook group and put Harmon Taylor into the search bar for the group and search the group. Um, I've posted a few things from Harmon Taylor in there. And Harmon Taylor was actually uh, representing uh, victims from the Oklahoma City uh, bombing. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. right. He he knows more about that particular false flag than anybody I know. Well, and, and the thing that amazed him, I mean, he was taken aback in the beginning because this happened in Oklahoma City, and the court was being held on Illinois. And he's like, wait a minute. He's thinking, jurisdiction. Isn't there a jurisdictional problem here? That was always kind of in the back of his mind. And then he had done his whole case based on the Constitution. And he was in front of a tribunal, which people should know try means three. So he was in front of three judges. 
And he waited, and like a week later, um, their holdings or their findings came back to him. And they basically stated to him that he had done an awesome job, excellent presentation, his case was solid. Unfortunately, uh, the Constitution uh, was of no consequence and invalid regarding the case. And that led him on his journey. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I was part of his email group for a long time, and uh, I will never talk disrespectful about Harmon Taylor because I like what he does. But I just found that, that he has he doesn't have a lot of knowledge. He has a blank spot in regards to the passport and the, the two classes of citizen. And, uh, you know, there is the original class, and then there's the 14th Amendment citizen, and there's two jurisdictions. You know, so, uh, you know, you're right. He has a blank spot about jurisdiction because he doesn't understand that. And when I tried to, when I got the passport and the evidence and I tried to tell him that, he blew me off, you know, and criticized me and ostracized me. And I was sitting here with evidence that, you know, he had no interest in looking at because it went against his, you know, current legal reality. And so, you know, he booted me out of his group. He just deleted me out of his group, you know. So he had cognitive wow. dissonance. He has cognitive dissonance. When I, when I had proof and was willing to show it to him, he had cognitive dissonance. It doesn't mean I don't respect the man. I do. You know, I like the man, and I, I, I'll refer anybody over to learn about uh, the Admiralty Maritime Jurisdiction and the commercial nature of things. He's an expert. I don't know. I can't refer him highly enough in that regard. But, you know, when I ask him specifics about, uh, he said that, that he said that he, uh, he terminated his driver license and uh, he terminated his passport and he terminated, you know, his voter registration. So he did a lot of the termination stuff. Uh, but when I told him I had a passport and I did mine differently, you know, he just immediately would have none of that. And he wouldn't even listen. And I said, you know, people have been using this, I know, for like 35 years. You know, where have you been? You know, <laughs> people have been doing this successfully. And, uh, you know, uh, so he would not, would not listen. And I do think he's a brain. His, his intelligence and his IQ is so high. You know, he's a very intelligent man. And he might not like, you know, people, you know, having a different viewpoint that differs from him. And you know, I get that. I get that, you know, but like, um, you know, uh, well, that, that people goes, have, that goes, that goes back to, uh, Twain saying where he said that, you know, it's easier to fool somebody than to convince somebody that they've been fooled. And he just may not want to be convinced he's been fooled. Although I would have thought he would have been past that by now. Yeah, you know, then then you have a man like uh, Alfred Adask, who I respect a lot and uh, listened to him for a long time. And when I approached him, not only was he willing to listen, I had a private call with him and showed him some stuff. And he was like, wow, you know, so, you know, he, you know, Alfred has always been willing to learn. He's a learner. Uh, and he goes way back to the 80s. I know I know, you know who Al Alfred Adask is, right? Humans or other animals? Yeah, man, man or other animal. Uh, it's in Article 7, the health and human, uh, I think the, you know, when it deals with medicine and medical and, 
things like that, man or other animal, you know, you're considered an animal under the law. And, uh, you know, not only that, but he, he's, you know, he has so much information that is worthwhile. He spent the last 40 or 50 years of his life learning this stuff. And when I approached him, it, it, it was beyond what, what he's experienced, but he was willing to listen and he listened and learned and, he, you know, he analyzed it. And so, you know, I like that type, you know, and, uh, I got a different response with, uh, Harmon Taylor, you know, who's a little bit different, but, you know, I don't hold anything against anybody. We, you know, we all will come to the truth at some point and, and learn as we go along. And, and you had some good callers on your show and, uh, you know, one guy I like, uh, I don't agree with a whole lot on your show, but he talked about expatriation. He expatriated, but I know for a fact, expatriation, uh, I was never a federal U.S. citizen, the 14th Amendment citizen. If I was never that, how can I expatriate if I never agreed to it? You know what? You know what? And that's one of the things that I say over and over and over, and I don't know if anybody uh if it clicks with them or not but expatriation is impossible because it is. well well hold on a second unless you have maybe been in the military or you've held public office who else has uh claimed <laughs> uh to be a citizen of the united states and in fact i i just did a post here a few days ago where i said show me the definition of U.S. citizen. Who can find it? And people started sending me 14th Amendment, started sending me this, started sending me that. I said, no, go read it. It doesn't list U.S. citizen. It might talk about citizen of the United States, but nowhere is there U.S. citizen. And on all these legal documents, uh, just like the, the tax return that people go out in the spring, under penalty of perjury, which means it's presumed that you've taken an oath, which you never have, that's the only way that you can be perjured is if you're under oath. It asks to check the box if you're a U.S. citizen. Well, U.S. citizen can't be found anywhere. That, that's kind of a, a, a fuzzy phrase that they use. And legal documents cannot use a fuzzy phrase like that. They have to be word-specific. And I'll go ahead step forward. I'll go, I'll go an extra step. Uh, I've got written evidence from the... Uh, United States State Department that uh, they consider a small C citizen of the United States to be a 14th Amendment federal citizen. Okay, so if you weren't born there and subject to it, which most people weren't, then you know you probably you know signed off on something without knowledge or without your consent. You know they probably fooled you or it wasn't explained. So. Um, you know, I just believe from my studies that uh, when you get a passport and you do it the correct way and uh, you attach an explanatory statement and you don't take their oath of office, you correct, excuse me, you know, the, the oath of allegiance, you correct that on your explanatory statement, which is the most important part, and you can put America there, you know, your state in America, and... Uh, you know, it's a different status. So so there's actually two citizens of the United States, and I am a citizen, a capital C citizen of the United States because the United States have several meanings. 
and one meaning is the federal zone, and one meaning is the 50 states of the Union, you know, under that you know, original Constitution. And so when you specify which one, then it's okay to be a capital C citizen of the United States because that means America. That means your state in America. So you don't need to expatriate. You just need to get a passport in the correct status, which is your birthright. That is a birthright. Nobody can steal or fool you out of birthright. They will do it, but when you correct it, nobody can stand in your way, really. And once you have it, uh, it's a done deal. Okay, so well, you know, on on your particular it, it, show, I just want to finish one more point. Uh, on your particular show, there are some callers who call in, and they're they're labeling, "Don't ever be a citizen of the United States." Blah blah blah. You have to expatriate and uh, leave that. Well, I, I I don't have that understanding from my research. You know, you can be a capital C citizen of the United States and be the 50 states of the union. You know, your state national, and uh, that's available as a birthright to those of you who were born in the state of the union. And why on earth would you want to expatriate from that? I mean, when when most when most people come in from Trinidad and Tobago or Africa or Asia or Europe, they're all thinking, wow, I want to be one of, a citizen of one of the states of the Union, an American. But what they don't realize when they, when they come over here and they, and they become a resident, a, per, or a permanent resident, uh, and eventually a small C citizen of the United States, uh, that they're actually not what they think they wanted to be. And I've talked to some people, you know, at least five or six, you know, that figured it out when they got here. And they said, you know what, I figured it out. I'm not what I thought I was going to be. I thought I was going to be a state citizen, but now I realize I'm, I'm just merely a resident. And, uh, and, uh, and my option is a federal citizen. And I don't want to be that, you know. So people are figuring this out, you know. And so I just want your audience to know uh, – you know, there's two classes of citizen of the United States. And, uh, you know, you have to claim the right one and know how to stand on it. And I'm, I'm attempting to do that right now. I've had my passport for three years, and I'm living as a state citizen, as a national of my state. And, uh, you know, I don't use Federal Reserve notes. You know, don't have a driver license. Don't take any benefit from the government. So this is what I'm trying to achieve. Well, here's the thing. There, there is different classifications, uh, but unfortunately, on their documents, you know, you know like that tax return in the spring, uh, they don't stipulate that or, or offer options or anything like that. And gosh, I, there's a million things I want to say regarding that. Okay, would you mind but, if I respond to Sojourner? Uh, he put in a non-citizen national status, a non-citizen national, and I have written written uh, evidence from the State Department, and it's in law. Everybody thinks, oh, I, I want to be a non-citizen national. Well, that's only for Swains Island and American Samoa, and that's in the law, and that's in documents from people who try to get passports and try to claim to be a non-citizen national. And the response is, well, we've looked at your birth certificate, and uh, you're not from Swains Island or American Samoa, so you don't qualify for that. So I've heard that 
from so many people who failed to get a passport because they're claiming that non-citizen national status. And uh, that's going to be a failure. Right. If you go and look up definitions, you're going to find that over and over. Hey, it's exactly what you said. But but here's the thing. That birth certificate and that, because it's an organization, okay, it's not you. That's an organization. Because the government and the courts are fictions at law, okay? So they cannot deal with men or women. Um, they can only deal with other similar um, positions which would be other organizations. Um, okay, and, and, and the public, in the public like yes. In the public, yes, but what you have to understand, uh, when I pull out the passport card or the passport book, it doesn't say first name, middle name, last name. It says right on there, uh, given name and surname. And surname, you know, family name are, are, are pretty much synonyms, but it's not the first, middle, last name that that is the registered organization. So, you know, I'm one of the only guys I know that has the passport uh, in the right way and also rejected and resigned the agency. So um, I'm able to rebut. And it's all about rebuttal. The passport is about rebuttal. And I've heard you talk about that on your show. And I appreciate that because... It's like you need to rebut it, you know, at the Department of State who issues the passport. You need to rebut that. And then you need to get the evidence to put in your evidence repository. And I have an authenticated uh, passport record signed by the custodian of the passport records. And also it has a gold star with John F. Carey's signature on it. And it's good for... Uh, uh, any court of uh, civil procedure, criminal procedure, or uh, under the federal rules of evidence. It's the highest and best evidence that I can use for my citizenship and nationality, according to Erdotecki versus Darcy, uh, 1835, and Hague versus Agee, A-G-E-E, -E, in uh, 1981, which confirmed that Supreme Court decision. So there's two Supreme Court decisions saying, that passport evidence that I have is the highest and best evidence, not the second best or third best. It's the highest and best that can be used in a court of justice to prove my citizenship and nationality. So nobody can argue with that. A judge can't argue with that. Uh, a police officer on the side of the road, when I show it to him, he can't argue with that. An attorney general can't argue with that. A governor can't argue with that. And from my own personal experience, you know, over the past you know, almost three years, nobody, nobody has said one word when I present that to any government agency or court. They just disappear. Well, uh, myself, myself, uh, I prefer, and actually you could probably ask any female too, I, I prefer to stay away from the C word. <laughs> and because the, the, that C word means that you owe allegiance to some other corporation or to some See, government. I, I, I totally, no, I totally no. disregard that. Having done my own study, uh, if you're in England, I would agree with you. If you're in some other country where it meant a subject, then I would agree with you. And if you're talking about the no, 14th I go, Amendment I, citizen, I would agree with you. I go, but, I, but, but not, not the original uh, class of state citizen. Uh, a capital C citizen is the people, and it is a member of the sovereignty. 
So that is what it is. So, you know, in our country, a capital C citizen and a small C citizen are two different things with two different characteristics. And most nations... Here's the problem. Here's the problem, though, that what's being run right now is that's not what's being run. What's being run right now is this is being run from a corporate venue, and that's the way it's looked at. And if you look at their definitions, that's what they're going to tell you, that you owe allegiance. And Because the whole switchover, I mean... You go back to our conversation on post office. The, the whole switchover g- happened gradually, um, and a lot of it right after uh, the Civil War. But it, it, it was evening starting to occur just prior to that, um, around uh, the 1780s up to, uh, I think it was around 1805, 1807, with the post office. Is the post office at that time ceased to be? Because there was the baton was never handed over. There was no chain of title handed over to anybody else. The government was never handed over to anybody else. The post office kind of went dormant, and the United States Postal Service kicked into effect, and that started running. I, I had a conversation. I really don't with, think it's dormant. I, I, can I finish? Can I finish talking? It, it's there, but it's not being used. I mean, like, well, when you and I were talking about using, like, the two or three cents to mail things, we were using the post office. It's there, it's alive, but it's not being used. That's what I mean by dormant, okay? But I had this conversation with Anna Von Reitz, okay? And Anna and I were talking about Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin's position was postmaster and postmaster general. Anybody can go online, research tons of documents, you'll find it. He held both those positions. And Anna Von Wright says to me, she says, oh, yeah, he did hold both of those positions, but Postmaster General didn't exist until after the Civil War. Well, I'm thinking, wait a second. Um, Benjamin Franklin gave up that position at the turn of the century. At about uh, 1801, whatever. So the Civil War didn't happen until the 1860s. And she's saying that there was no Postmaster General until after the 1860s. Okay, then how come Benjamin Franklin held both of those positions at the turn of the century 60 years prior? How was that even possible? And she's full of crap there. She doesn't do her research, okay? And she quit responding as far as uh, that conversation went. But when Benjamin Franklin left, it was turned over to Ebenezer Hazard. And when Ebenezer Hazard passed away, it was never turned on to anybody else. It was That baton was never handed off to anyone else. And so the post office, the de jure government, kind of ceased at that time. And that's when they picked up the USPS which is actually founded in Bern, Switzerland. And you'll find lots of things are founded in Bern, Switzerland. The Red Cross is there. The Swiss Guard is there. The Swiss Guard are the ones that protect the Vatican because Switzerland is deemed a neutral territory. And so of that neutral territory, all of these things are being run. And I... People should really research that avenue of what's really being done from that neutral territory. Hey, uh, 
Jeff, are you on the call with us? Yes, no? I am. Jeff Thomason? Can you hear me? Hey, what's up, brother? Yeah, uh, how are you doing, man? Just just listening to a good conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, you uh, mentioned something to me about the post office and the USPS. Is it, did you want to elaborate on that? Well, uh, as of 2010, there hasn't been a, a president of the USPS, is what I'm to understand, and I haven't verified that. But uh, and by, by USPS, you mean the U.S. Post, Postal Service, the the quasi commercial uh, agency, right? Yes. Okay. No one has stepped forward since the general post office has come back online for the government of the United States of America. That, you, know, you, know, you know, to me, that, that's very interesting. I, I like to study that. If you, can, if you can study that and bring back some stuff, I mean, I would love to study that some more. I mean, because, you know, to me, the post office is worthy of study, okay? And I've studied quite a bit over the years off and on, so I'm always open to learn about what's going on currently. Uh, I kind of differ from Brian in that the original post office, it didn't cease to exist or go dormant. It's always been there. It's been coterminous, and maybe nobody has used it, you know, because they don't know about it, but it doesn't mean it ceased to exist the way the 50 states of the Union didn't cease to exist. They're still there, and, uh, you know, under the Articles of Confederation, and they are the real government. So if they cease to exist, we have no nation. So it's that simple. So the post office will always be there. Uh, most well, people don't know how to access it and, and use it. But, you know, I'm always willing to learn and study. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not a recipient of personal mail. Uh, I don't have a mailbox on the home and that kind of thing um, at all. So, right. But it doesn't mean I can't use them as a bank. And I, I told them I use you as a bank. And I, I value your services over uh, a Federal Reserve Bank. And absolutely, every chance you get, you've got to try to stay out of that system. But the the sick fact is so much has been done that it, it is ridiculously hard for the majority of the people to even fathom how to... <laughs> to stay clear of that. You, you nailed it. You nailed it right there, my friend. Go ahead and say that again so people can can hear that again. I agree it, totally. It, it's, it's so sad that they have just nailed this system down to where you have to have a serious education to be able to outstand all of the individuals that have specific jobs to take you down. So they've really done a good job at that. We have to figure it out. And I believe that we we have. Now it's taking, because, I mean, let's face it, they've gotten away with human trafficking for bare minimum 40 years. And it's a, it's a all peak right now. Trafficking in persons. Not human trafficking, but trafficking in persons. Well, at the end of the day, it's human trafficking. 
Yeah, it's, it's what a human being is. A human being is defined as uh, a species of the Homo sapiens. So it's not uh, the man as as known in the Bible. It's a it's an animal. Well, it's because we've gone ahead and agreed to put on that hat of person. The mankind has gone ahead and agreed to operate in that capacity, and that's how mankind gets trafficked. But uh, they're trafficking in, in persons, and mankind is just kind of going along with it and uh, agreeing to be the agent for that person, uh, which is what Russell mentioned earlier and what I've mentioned. You've you got to resign that position. Resign, resign, revoke, period. And, and that's part of that aspect I was saying, that the normal person wouldn't have any idea. They'd look at you so funny if you said your person's been trafficked. They'd be like, what are you talking about? And you're like, yeah, you signed your stuff off. And you didn't even know. They didn't tell you. They just did that. And now you're subject to all of this. When literally when I signed on to some of that, I was like, hey, I'm just trying to prove to you that I'm competent and able to take care of my effects and my family and do whatever it takes for me and my family to stay alive, and I don't need your help. But that's not the way that contract went. And everybody needs to know that there's a great deception there. You know what? This conversation is reminding me, Ed, I need to go back into Facebook, and I need to pull up a post that I did like three years ago where I, I walked into a post office and I took a picture. I showed the picture of the sign hanging in there, and then I showed a picture of their paperwork that you have to fill out because the sign said post office. And then on the paperwork, it said United States Postal Service. And it's like, wait a minute. They're going under two different names here. Which one are you doing? And that's actually <laughs> something I want to bring up. That's something I want to bring up earlier when Russell and I were talking, was uh, talking about using the two or three cents to mail things. I, I always joke, I said, how funny is it that you drive all the way to the post office, and in front of the post office, there's a postal box. And then you walk inside, and you can go up to the counter and hand them mail that, that, that they can send out, or right next to them, there on the wall, where there's a basket sitting there, there's a sign that says drop mail. I mean, that this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It, but once you comprehend all of this, it makes total sense because the drop mail is totally different from the mail handed over to the USPS or from necessarily what you stick in your mailbox. Drop mail has a totally different designation. And if people think I'm talking crazy here, they can go into whatever their favorite searching engine is, Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever, and just put in the words drop mail and, and see what they learn. Because yeah, and two uh, different designations. Yeah, and I wanted to bring up the fact that uh, one of the reasons why I want to use money order from the post office is that imagine this, and I know this to be true because I just experienced this myself, firsthand knowledge. Okay, so this is just, you know, as an example, you know, you buy a home 20 years ago when you don't have any of the knowledge that Brian talked about. And uh, when you bought a home, the home was under the name of 
John H. Doe, okay, all capital letters, whatever you want to call it, the name of the organization, the organizational symbols, you know, whatever you want to call it, okay. And then you, you live your life for 20 years, and then you gain the knowledge that Brian talks about on his show, and you go to sell that home, and you realize, well, I've never used that John H. period Doe. I don't know where that came from. I don't use that. And you kind of, you, you think you know what that is. It may be uh, a public transmitting utility. Uh, it may be a social security trust name, you know, whatever it may be. I don't know. Okay, I didn't create it that way. I don't use it that way. But then you want to sell your home and maybe you have 200 grand in equity and you sell your home, and who is the check? Who is the cashier check made out to? Oh, it's made out to John H. Doe. And do you have any ID on you that says John H. Doe? I don't. And so you go down to the bank to cash that check, and you pull out your passport, and they look at it, and they go, well, you, know, you need to sign as, as the recipient on the check. And I go, what? And they go, yeah, you know, John H. Doe. You must sign it as John H. Doe, even though your ID may say something else. And so you won't get the cash unless you sign it as that recipient. And so, you know, say, for example, you have a home that you want to buy and you found it. And, 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 uh, and that 200 grand will pay for it. And you go, you tell the bank, well, I want you to take this cashier check and I want to buy that home over there and I want to offer $190,000. And so, you know, they go, okay, well, uh, the bank will negotiate, which means to sell, we will negotiate that cashier check for you to buy that new home. And uh, guess what the cashier check to pay that seller is going to be for that new home? Guess what name? the cashier check will be in. It'll be in John H. Doe. So, you know, if you bring a cashier check and, uh, and you want to buy a new home, they're going to take that John H. Doe, and that's going to carry over to the new home that you buy. So you can't shake it off. It's like snot that you get on your nose, and you try to flip it off, and it won't come off, and you're like trying to get it off your hand or get some gum off your shoe. It just won't come off. And you're like, well, well gosh, what? Russell, you can fix that problem. I fixed that problem. I I am the owner of all formats of the name. I went to the Secretary of State and I listed myself as the owner of all combinations of Brian Glenn Parker. And that is totally separate from corporation names and things like that because I went back to look for it to show it to somebody one time and I couldn't find it. I'm like, oh my God, they took it off? No. Then you have it in a totally different section. They've got it in the section that is only set up for men and women, for mankind. It was listed in the section where they also keep um, death certificates, um, wedding certificates things like that. And that was under strictly just fictitious name, registration, unincorporated. 
And then after I had done that, I said, you know, having that is, is good, but actually I'd like something more physical. So uh, for 30 bucks, I sent to Florida and I said, I want a certified copy of this. Well, when I got that certified copy back, it had even more information on it than what it even showed online. And it listed me as owner of that name, which means, guess what? The state doesn't own it. So what, you did it like a DBA? And, yeah, I, I did a DBA for a fictitious, unincorporated name. Okay, well, DBA, uh, doing business means a corporation. So, you know, doing business as means corporation as. And I've read some things in the banking law that, that treat that as a sole proprietorship, which has the uh, filing requirements. So I, I wanted to avoid that. So I don't want to do that. You know, if you can well, do that. Well, like, and I said, like I said, Florida has two sections. They have a section for incorporated and unincorporated. I did mine as unincorporated. Because when you incorporate, means you join something else. And when you incorporate in the U.S., you're joining the state. You're becoming a member of them. You're making them a part of you. I did it unincorporated. So they put my fictitious name filing in a totally different segment, a totally different category than the other ones are listed as. Okay, I have not done that. Uh, I have a passport, and on the evidence that I have, uh, it does uh, have the name listed in the appropriate way. Uh, and so I've not wanted to do any extra DBA-type thing, so I, I'm staying away from that until uh, I understand that I need to do that at some point. But all I'm telling you is that if that name is on that check, you have to sign it the exact same way or they don't want to cash it. And so what I'm saying is, you know, that cashier check will follow to the home purchase of the new home. So I wanted lawful money, and I realized a cashier check is a negotiable instrument under the UCC. So it's not the same thing as cash or well, a postal money order. Here's, here's, the, here's the thing. If that name is made out to John H. Period Doe, well, if you own John H. Doe, then you can cash that check and you can write it out that it's being cashed on the back of it where you endorse it. You can put for John H. Doe by whatever name you want to sign as or autograph as because you own that name. If you go into uh, Secretary of State's website, uh, I found one, I think it was Oregon or Washington, but they're in all states. You can find the listing. Where it'll tell you that if you are operating in commerce, and people need to stop and think, hey, when you're in court, courts are commerce, they're banks. When you're operating in commerce, if you're operating there with an unregistered name, you may not have standing to be in that court. So you need to take possession of that organization and the organizational symbols. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all courts are commercial. Yeah, all courts are commercial. Yeah. So you're talking about getting a commercial name. I don't want to use a commercial name. Uh, I want to be a state citizen. The government was formed to protect a man and his property, not a commercial uh -huh. entity 
and, and, and its property, but a man and its property. Well, so I'm going through the system as a man. I, I, well, okay. The man stuff, all that, mankind, whatever. Yeah, I, I'm not a citizen of anything. I'm a resident of the United States of America. And if anybody has a question about that, you can just go to Google, put it in all caps, Brian Glenn, two N's, Brian and Brian with a Y, Brian Glenn Parker, comma, PMA. It's been published as to where I've placed myself at. And so I'm not operating in commerce as that name. No, I own that name. I'm controlling it in commerce. But so I, I'm like one step removed, if you will. Well, it, you know, as you as you take that sh- as you as you take that shoe or the car or the wheelbarrow, and you move that around in commerce, the taxes will flow to that entity, and the and if you control it, you'll be responsible for any of those taxes. Correct. So you're paying property tax on a home. Correct. I don't pay property tax, so I don't. That's probably tied into a mortgage or whatever. But uh, let me give you a for instance, okay? Because I, I researched this deeply before I did anything. I got a lot of the stuff I researched for like a year before I would take a step just because I didn't want to put myself in a bind. Um, the bank account. The bank account no longer is in my name. The bank account right now that I use is in the name of the DBA, and it is in uh, non-interest-bearing account, all right? Well, the non-interest-bearing account is really important because everything, like my one spiritual group I've got, that I put in the name of it, I said legal imitate spiritual, because that's exactly what happened. The, the government... You know, Satan, the devil, evil, whoever you want to label it as, couldn't figure out how to be greater than God. All it could do is imitate it. And that's exactly what happened. And, and spiritually, you're going to scripture. Scripture, will, you'll find that the borrower is servant to the lender. Okay? So if you are receiving a benefit from somebody, you're their servant because you rely on them for a benefit. So I set up the bank account as non-interest bearing, so I was not receiving any benefit from that institution. And since I wasn't receiving any benefits from that institution, then they also could not hold me liable to anything. Um, After I did that, I waited a couple months, and I went and I bounced a couple checks on that account just to see what happened. They sent me, I got... For each check, I got two little cards, came in the mail, said that um, checks for insufficient funds had gone through. Uh, They charged $30 per check. At the bottom where it said amount charged, it said zero. Nothing was charged me. Why? Why was nothing charged me? Because I was not their servant. I wasn't receiving a benefit from them. Therefore, they couldn't bill me for anything. And on top of it, they covered the check. I mean, to me, this is one of the greatest things I've ever done because there's been a few times now where I've had to write out a handful of checks and 
I knew there might not be the funds there. There would be in the two or three days afterwards, possibly. But all of those checks clear that the institution always covers the checks. Normally, if you don't have the funds there, those checks get kicked back to you. Um, you've got to wait until you put money back in, and then you've got to rewrite a check, and you've got to make a payment to them for the $30 or whatever the institution charges for an insufficient fund check, all that hassle. I don't have any of that anymore. That doesn't happen. Okay, so, so Brian, what, what taxpayer identification number did you use for that DBA account? Um, I think they probably used my old Social Security number from previous accounts. Yeah, yeah, you would need to and, because uh, under the, you know, uh, in the money order process, uh, the title company says, you know, if you use money orders, we need to file a form 8300 uh, for the money orders. And when you read it, it talks about, uh, you know, those who are doing business as uh, and such and such a sole proprietor, you know, you have to use your 10 for that commercial account. And uh, the only one who is exempt from all that is a non-resident alien who is not engaged in a trade or business within the United States. And trade or business is defined in 26 USC 7701A26 as the performance of, of the functions of a public office. So I'm in that position of not holding a public office. Well, I would go a okay, Let me just go ahead and finish. I would go a step further. Go ahead. Oh, I thought you were going to finish. I was going to say I would go a step further um, because you're talking about a trade of business within the United States. You need to go into financially, what do they look at UCC, where is the United States? Are, are you doing any trade or business within that 10-mile square district? Because that's where they list the United States as. Yeah, and what most people don't understand is, uh, you know, uh, the federal taxpayer who owes the federal income tax is, uh, you know, they're testifying against themselves that their income is effectively connected with the trader business, trader business defined as the performance of the functions of a public office. So they're a public office holder as that registered agent with a registered office and uh, Adele Weiss, uh, WeissParis.com, W-E-I-S-S, Paris.com, you know, explains that better than anybody I know. And so, you know, a DBA is a sole proprietorship, you know, doing business. If you look in Black's Law, is defined as a corporation. So, you know, I really don't want to get involved with those fictitious, you know, types of things. I just want to have a passport and, uh, and conduct myself as a state citizen, as a man who has a right to acquire property for his own private and non-commercial use uh, as a place where he lives, eats, sleeps, and poops every day and raises his family. And I'm out to prove that. So, you know, what you're saying, I know people who have done that, you know, commercially, and I agree with if I were to get a bank account, it would be a non-interest bearing because when you don't earn interest, they don't have to file the interest payments to the IRS, so you're relieving them of that obligation. So I agree with that. I'm just you're, saying, 
Yeah, I'm trying off, to prove a point. Radar when you do that. Yeah, I'm trying well, to prove a my point. Thing is, my thing is, I don't want to be the wheelbarrow or the shoe or whatever on the Monopoly board. I want to be the hand that controls the wheelbarrow or the shoe. And, but you, and you will be boards, paying tax for that wheelbarrow and the shoe. Not necessarily. Yes, you will. Believe me. They see you as the wheelbarrow or the shoe unless you separate yourself from it. Well, what I'm saying is the money, you know, the wheelbarrow and the shoe are fictitious entities that don't, can't, can't walk or talk or earn money. So you will be walking and talking and earning money and paying its taxes or else it will be removed from the monopoly board. So all I'm saying is I've read the law and I know that in my status, I have no property tax. The property tax, I've read the Texas legislative bill in 1876, 1925, and 1972 that says the ad valorem tax is for, you know, the person defined as owing the tax is a firm, company, or corporation. And they're talking about the railroads and the banks that finance the railroads. And they're using the people's property to conduct commerce to move things back and forth for income. Okay? And I have nothing to right. do with that. You know? but, but, the, but the minute you have a DBA, well, guess what? You know, I've read that, that doing business is the same as a corporation in Black's Law. So a firm, company, or corporation, you know, you can make an argument that they owe property tax and you will be taxed. And, and so the people I know that have had success are using the angle that I'm talking about, which is non-commercial use, you know, uh, you know to, to raise their family and live their life. And uh, so I'm out to prove it. Well, and I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong or I'm right. I'm just saying no, I want to... No, I think I need... I think I, I think I need to specify something here. I guess I didn't, I didn't clarify something. <clears throat> what is done as well is that legal entity that you're supposed to be the agent for, um, not only have you removed yourself from your the relationship or clarified your relationship with it, but you've moved that legal entity from the jurisdiction of the empire and put it back in you've moved it out of U.S. Inc. and you put it back in the United States of America. And when you do that, U.S. Inc., it, it's hands-off for them. Uh, do you want an example of that? Sure, go ahead. Uh, Jeff, are you still here? Jeff I Thompson. am. Uh, Jeff, you want to talk about uh, your experience with Leo and the courts? Well, I, I can give you a, a brief summary of it real quick. Uh, I, I had gotten a DUI, and uh, it was almost right in front of my house. I was doing 20 mile an hour. He said I ran a stop sign. Realistically, I was following my wife home from the bar. She'd been there all afternoon with some friends, and I went up there to make sure she was all right. She didn't get phone calls in there because it's a metal building. So I went up there to make sure she was all right. Some friends were there. I drank two beers. On the way home, just told the story. DUI County 
the city cop switched it to county, so I had to go to county. I played with them four times. I went into that place, and they kicked it back to the city because they didn't want to play with the document. One document that I put in, there was a motion to dismiss for the driver's license because they knew what that would mean because they're all working for the same people. Every one of them. Every one of them's corrupt all the way through this country. Really, really disheartening to me to know the utopia that we live in right now. That we have to change immediately. Because I will not allow my grandchildren to go through this. I know. So when, when uh, you went through this, right. did you have a did you have a driver license? I did previously have a driver's license. I've always had one, and I've never gotten in trouble my whole life. I've never done anything wrong. And uh, I've got a couple stories where I've been completely screwed by the state for something that I completely didn't do. And uh, anyway, Jeff, Jeff, with this situation, yeah. when you finally went into court, what did you give them, and what happened? Well, I just. Uh, I had initially in the plea hearing, I had went to the prosecuting attorney and give him my oath of affirmation and uh, my ID card as an American national under the 1781 government. And he right. like... Oath and, affirma- oath and affirmation to the United States of America, not to United States Inc. Right. Yes. And he, like, jumped back in his chair, and she's sitting there talking, and she's used to just railroading people. I sat there and watched her. It was so sad, this one guy. He couldn't. He had a hole in his throat, and he was fishing, and he didn't have a fishing license. And she's like, $500. <laughs> and he didn't even have a pot to piss in. Or he, and it probably took probation, too, I think. It's so sick what these people do. But, so, and she like, she's like, I'll hold you in contempt. I was like, ma'am, I would appreciate if you wouldn't threaten me. And then she just like jumped back in her chair a little bit. And he handed her those papers and she shuffled to him. And she was like, well, I'm setting you up a trial date. And I was like, okay. And then a week later, I got some documents from them saying they wanted a special hearing. And it was basically to get me to take an attorney. So I just skipped it. The next day, the sheriff was on the doorstep with a... Uh, that was a, that was initially a status hearing. And now we had a special hearing. So I went back to that. And that's a special hearing is when I handed um, the motion to dismiss for the driver's license. And... She was really a different person at that point, like real cheery, and I was like, you know what? Whatever. I'm I'm sick of it. This is stupid. I can't believe you people did this to me. It's unbelievable. And three day a week later, I got a letter in the mail saying that they dismissed the charges without prejudice. So what they did was just send it back to the city. And now, um, I was supposed to go before this city 
in uh, February, 1st of February, and I got it continued. I asked for, uh, Keith told me to go in and just say, uh, I moved for time. And I, and it's weird too, because my knee dislocated and I was in so much pain. I couldn't even think when I went in there and I was like, I moved for time. I'm talking to counsel and he's like, okay, all right. And, and I was supposed to go in the first tomorrow and they said that they bumped it to April 1st because and this guy only comes in once a month to steal from people. It's sick how they do this. <clears throat> but they moved it to April 1st because the forensic science, or, uh, guy couldn't be there to discuss what they found in my blood that they stole from me, apparently. <laughs> so I'm up for April 1st now, and I go in there and hit him with human trafficking. Well, so first they dismissed all these charges, and then they want to pick it back up and, and try again. Okay. Well... There's no record of anything in this court down here. They have nothing, no record. It, this guy, go, it's a, it's completely a private membership association. It's obvious. So he just gavels people. As a matter of fact, it's, it's the sickest part, and my wife was just, like, so grossed out by it. He's like, how much money? How, you got my money? When are you going to have my money? That's what he tells people. And they're like, well, he's like, okay, look, if you can't have my money by the first of next month, I'm going to put a warrant out for your arrest. It, it, it's, it, it's mafia. <laughs> well, have, have you uh, resubmitted to this court the motion to dismiss? The The... Tribunal? Right, the, the the one that's looking at shit now. The one that picked oh, it back yeah. up. Yeah. I, I would submit that motion to dismiss all over again. Yeah. Well, and they know I that, did. and that's why they keep pushing it back and pushing it back. Yeah. It, that and because I they also... Don't have, I, I, uh... They don't... Put, put an affidavit. I was going to say, they, they don't have... There you go. Well, what it really comes down to is they don't have jurisdiction. It's just like the U.S. trying to go and levy a charge against somebody in Canada and pluck them out of Canada. They can't do that because you are part of the United States of America. You are not a member or citizen of U.S. Inc. I'd like to think so. Oh, no, I think so. That's the way it is. I mean, period. It's a jurisdictional issue. And they're right now, I'm hauling around trying to think of a way to pull you back into USA. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, well, guys, we've been on for a couple hours now. Um, Russell, do you, do you know anything about uh, this government, the United States of America, that we're talking about? 
Well, uh, before I go, I wanted to respond to a comment uh, on the on your uh, on your message board here. You know, the board. Uh, uh, Sojourner mentioned uh, a sole proprietorship is an unincorporated business with a single owner who pays personal income tax on profits earned from the business, and uh, and I, I agree with that because I have open here uh, form eighty three hundred, which the title company mentioned. Uh, when you're dealing with money order and anything over three thousand to ten thousand dollars, and uh, what it says about uh, who files, it says the ten, the taxpayer identification number for an individual, in parentheses it says including a sole proprietorship. So that that means it's defined as only a sole proprietorship when it because uh, under the rules of statutory construction. Include, includes, and including is a limiter, so that's a, it's a limiting to sole proprietorship. So the 10 for an individual, including a sole proprietorship, is the individual's Social Security number, SSN. Uh, for certain resident aliens who are not eligible to get an SSN and non-resident aliens who are required to, find, to file tax returns, it is an IRS individual taxpayer identification number, I-10. And then further down under exception, it says you are not required to, to provide the 10 of a person who is a non-resident alien individual or a foreign organization if that person or foreign organization does not have income effectively connected with the conduct of a U.S. trade or business, which means a public office. So, you know, this is what I was telling you about. I wouldn't have to give a, a, a Social Security number on this form, but if you're acting in your capacity as a DBA, your DBA as a sole proprietor, you personally would have to provide your social security number, uh, you know, you know, for that sole proprietor. And so they would require that if, if you acted in that capacity. So this is what I was trying to specify to you is, you know, you know, I've, I've read this. And so when I buy a home, uh, I want to buy it as a non-commercial entity, not even a DBA sole proprietor, because I know that the property tax is for a commercial entity that is a firm, company, or corporation, and not for a man who acquires property for a non-commercial purpose. So uh, well, that, if that, I that was... Answer, if, I can, if I can answer that, yeah, when I did the DBA, sole proprietorship was an option listed. But I, I didn't use that. I, I used the unincorporated position. And if you go into uh, the IRS, go into IRC for their definitions, individual is defined as a taxpayer. And so whenever you see the word individual related to this kind of stuff, their definition is taxpayer. Right. And so that, that, that DBA, uh, when people use that DBA in business, it will have a tax liability. Uh, well, Correct. if it had I mean, a tax liability, no, no, because if it had a tax liability, the banks would have to report it. The banks do not have to report the DBA I have because my DBA is not incorporated. Okay, so when, when you go out and you buy a home, when you buy a home under that DBA, I would like to see if that is true. You know, so... You know, obviously, people don't go and buy and sell homes very frequently, so you might not get to that. But I just know, because I'm currently going through this, 
I don't think what you're saying would be true in the marketplace. I just know the research that I had done uh, for the DBAs and and how you set up the DBA um, would list how it's reported or not reported, and that the unincorporated DBAs in a bank are not reported to the IRS. And that's why I set it up the way I did. Okay. Now, as far as going out and purchasing a home or anything, I haven't. I, I wish I had done it prior to purchasing um, property that I've purchased, but I had not. So, um, and I'm not. I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm not saying you couldn't two, do that. Uh, I'm not saying you couldn't do that. I just don't have any proof, and obviously, you haven't done it, so I don't have any knowledge, and we don't have any evidence. So, all I'm saying is, I'm trying to go through what I'm going through to create evidence and to find knowledge. And I'm happy to share that with you. And, you know, uh, maybe the next time if I fail, I'll use your, your idea about uh, unincorporated DBA and I'll give that a shot and I'll, I'll go through that way and see what kind of results. It, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt to do it ahead of time. That way you don't have to wait for a second chance because it won't hurt to do it the first time around. But I mean, as far as property or property taxes go, I, I think Steve, uh, down here in Florida, nailed that pretty well. Uh, people just have to find that for their own states. Yeah, and and his 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 whole argument was based on the fact that it's uh, it's non-commercial use, not that it was private, but non-commercial use. So you would have to argue that your non-commercial use was a doing business as, uh, and m maybe you can do that. I have no idea. I've never heard anybody, you know, who is talking about that currently. So I would love well, to hear that. And if anybody wants to go and listen to that information, because I'm sure people are going, okay, where, where can I find Steve's stuff at? Uh, he's got stuff out on uh, Bowen Rocco's channel. And you can also go to Brian Parker, Tactical Sovereignty on YouTube. And I've got his whole playlist right there. Uh, Mine is set up like uh, the Bone Rocco. You have to go to each individual call. Mine is set up in a playlist. So if you just go to that play button at the top, you can listen to all like 15 broadcasts right there in a row and listen to everything consecutively. And make sure that you've got a pen and paper to write with while you're sitting there listening to it. Anyway, is that about it, Russell? Oh, yeah. Uh, so Jerner had a couple of good comments now. Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear him come on and talk about what he's done. He's talking about a name change decree uh, and uh, you know, some other things. I'd be really interested in hearing about that next week. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? <clears throat> I always list this as our group call for tactical sovereignty because that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a group call. I know a lot of people and myself, I did the same thing several years ago when I was starting to study and learn things is I would go to some of these calls and just sit back and listen and learn because that's the position I was in. But, you know, I think we've got a lot of knowledgeable people in our group that, that like I said, that's why I label it a group call. People like Russell, uh, people like Jeff, 
everybody can come on and tell their experiences and talk about what they've used, what's worked, what hasn't worked. And, hey, we're a group, and we're doing this together. And that's what it's all about. And so uh, next I, week, I, if so Jenner wants to bounce on, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the more the more I know, the more I know that I don't know, and the more I know that I should know more. <laughs> right. I mean, the only stuff that I talk about or I post is stuff I've actually done, and I sit back and wait for a result from it. That's it. If you see me post something that I've done, it, I, I'm not posting it because I'm sitting back waiting for a result. It's because I've seen results from it. And because I, I've seen a lot of people, they talk a lot of stuff and everything. It's like, okay, well, did you do that? Well, no. Oh, okay. So what, you're using me for the guinea pig? I mean, <laughs> I, I think that's crazy. Now, my, myself, I think the best option is that people that were born here, and Russell, you mentioned a sentence in a definition a little while ago. It said, um, born in the United States and subject to the laws thereof. And I thought, wait a minute. I, I read that a long time ago, and I said, what in the world does that mean? Born in the United States and subject to the laws thereof. Understanding legalese tells me that there are evidently people born here who are not subject to the laws thereof. Otherwise, it wouldn't have stuck that and word in there. You're exactly because, right. Like, these guys these guys don't do stuff just for the heck of it. They do everything very word-specific. That's what people have to comprehend. Everything is very word-specific. So when it says and subject to the laws thereof, I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Who's not subject, you know? And the way I looked at it, and this might be going in a different direction, but the way I looked at it is I went back to the very First Amendment. The, the First Amendment starts out, the very first sentence was that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. So, okay, well, let's go look at those words. Respecting, what does that mean? That means referring to. Okay? And they shall not make any law referring to or holding judgment upon. And it says, a establishment of religion. Well, okay, what's, a, what's an establishment? An establishment, you look at the definitions, establishment is the man, the woman. How have you established yourself? And when it talks about religion, religion is very general. It's very general. But it comes down to what are you following? Have you set up a code? Are you living your life by a code? And to really simplify the First Amendment would say that Congress shall make no law uh, referring to anyone who is living by a code of good or a code of grace or a code of justice. Why would they need to? If you're living your life responsibly, they wouldn't need to bother with you. But if you haven't, 
now we're going to have bill of rights numbers two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine. You know what I'm saying? And one of the biggest things that I saw, one of the eye openers to me, was that after I became ordained by a non 501c3 organization, I was pulled over one day. And one of the first things that I hand over to the officer is my clergy ID. His eyes lit up. Oh, your clergy? That traffic stop, honest to goodness, lasted under 30 seconds. He came right back. He went back, checked his computer, made sure there wasn't like a warrant out for me. He raced straight back, gave me back my ID, and he said, go on your way. Have a good day. Be safe. I, who, I who, was, were you, I who were you ordained by? I would have fallen. I, I got my ordination through um, Universal Ministries out of Chicago. Okay. They're a 9501c3 organization. Um, it, I, I've told this to people, and then I see people, they go out, and they get their ordination through Universal Life Ministries, which is a big trick. Uh, uh, Universal Life Ministries at one time, they were housed in the Church of Satan in New York. <laughs> wow. Uh, and and they are a 501c3. They are set up under the IRS. Which the majority of these churches out here are all 501c3 organizations. And you read their charter or whatever, and it will say they are set up under the IRS as a 501c3 organization. Well, when you see that they're set up under the IRS, wait a minute, that means, wait a second, who controls them? Aren't they supposed to be set up under the creator, under whoever they worship, under their God, and not set up under the state or the IRS or some other fictitious organization? Because if you're set up under someone else, guess who gets to pull a plug on you whenever they want? whoever you're set up under. <laughs> I mean, that's just common sense, I I would think. But I, that, to me, that was one of the first things that kind of set me back in my seat was when that officer came right back, I mean, within 30 seconds, and said, go on your way, be safe. I was like, wow. Something's happened here. And I think the something that happened was that I notified them as to who I'm set up under. Am I set up under the state? Or am I set up under my creator? Which tells me that the First Amendment for the Bill of Rights is completely correct. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Right. I am an establishment, and I've declared what I'm following. And I'm following a just law. I'm following a just creator, and I'm not doing anything to hurt or harm the fellow man. If you do hurt or harm the fellow man, yeah, then they can step in. But as long as you are following the correct law, and the real law comes from the creator, doesn't come from the state, you're following the correct law, 
something you don't have anything to worry about because you'll never put yourself in the position for them to have to step in and govern you. Right now, everybody is being governed because they have not established themselves and they are not living their lives correctly. You see these towns where they win a championship or something and they go out and they burn cars and turn them over and burn businesses and stuff. Yeah, those people need to be governed. They obviously are not following the laws of any creator other than maybe a creator of evil. No creator of good would ever, ever allow that or would ever ordain any of those people to be following in that path. Right. Uh, They aren't self-governing under their creator. You're right. Absolutely. You have to be self-governing. If if you cannot self-govern, then people think, oh, that's kind of weird. No, it's not weird. Self-govern, you've got two minds. Everybody's heard you've got the left brain, the right brain. Uh, you've got the brain that kind of deciphers things. It's mathematical, whatever figures things out. And then you've got the other mind that's more spiritual or whatever. Well, you need to be in control of both of them. What do people think that Scripture was talking about when it said that the women should remain silent in church and the females should not talk? It's not talking about sexes. It's talking about emotions. Don't let the emotions run your house. Don't let the emotions run your decisions. You need to be in control. Because if you run everything by emotion, I'll tell you what. You're going to be in trouble all the freaking time. And I've been with enough chicks to see it. <laughs> they run their life on their emotions. They run their, their life on their um, on their shirt sleeves. That gets you in trouble. You have to be in control of your house. It's really, really simple. One of the basics that people need to get down and it'll make life a whole lot simpler. And, you know, it's just not a matter of uh, ruling your house correctly, but also letting that other entity out there, the Empire, U.S. Inc., whoever it may be, Australia. I mean, we've got people here from Australia. I have people on the calls from Holland. I've got people on the calls from Baghdad. I've had a lot of people joining the group from Baghdad lately. I think that's really interesting. It doesn't matter what organization is trying to rule over you. They're only trying to rule over you because you have not declared what laws you are under and and how you are ruling your house. Because if you don't declare what laws you're under or, or what rules are governing your house, then they're going to have to step in and impose their rules on you to make sure the sanctity of of their country continues in the direction that they want it to go in. It's really, really simple, I think. You just have to clarify your relationships. You have to define your relationships. We do that every day. We do that with people we work with. We do it with our next-door neighbors. 
we do it with people across the street, people that we see at the grocery store or whatever. But we have a set way that our relationships work with each other. Who has done that with the state? Nobody does. Nobody does. And so they get upset when the state presumes their position and comes in and governs you. Well, if you don't establish that, what do you expect to have happen? I mean, it's basic common sense. But you got to push the TV away, turn off whoever on the radio, and sit back and do some thinking uh, to come up with this and to really see things that are formatted the way they're formatted. And like I try to say at the beginning and the end of every call, and what I posted actually to the group for this call is it's all about learning who you really are, where you're really from, and where you're really at, because you've been lied to about all those things. And that's why life is confusing. Anything else to say, guys? No, it was a good call. Good call tonight. All right, everybody. Well, we'll catch you all next week, and have a wonderful hey, evening. Brian. Hey, what's up, bro? Hey, I called that number. It did work. Um, I listened to the first 15, you know, announcements uh, for different shows. I I did click on the Chris Geo show, and it didn't turn on, so then I clicked on Alex Jones, and that did play. So that 712. Seven seven five five three eight nine, I think, is the number, and it is good for GCNlive.com. But great call, thank you, and uh, we'll see you next week. Absolutely, Dave. Uh, thank you for the confirmation, and I'll post that number. I wrote it down. I'll post that number to uh, the group. That way, people can check it out if they want. And. Uh, and it sounds like there's probably some good info there. I'm not a big Alex Jones freak, but that's no big deal. Anyway, everybody, until next week, keep studying who you are, where you're really from, and where you're really at. You know, one of the first things I did when I started researching things is I had an idea that popped in my head. So I went to the search me engine that everybody uses called Google. And I typed in, who owns me? I got it. I I recommend everybody do that. Type in, who owns me? You might learn some things. Until next week, good night, guys. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.